started. So I want to get on tape. Uh, thank you to Tim uh, last week. Uh, I thought it was just so meaningful. Um, I'm going to go through, um, my recorder messed up a little bit. I only caught about half of it, so I'm going to go through and, and if I can get some of your comments on, on posted, I, I will, Tim, because uh, between um, that and just the participation of the class, I think it was very meaningful and thank you very much for what you guys do and um, for what you did last week. Uh, so when Helga came in this morning, I, uh, I told her, I said, well, I'm glad you're here because you're going to be my expert witness today if, uh, if I make any missteps. And uh, she was a little surprised at that, but when she hears the topic, I think she'll understand. So today we're talking about uh, St. Nicholas, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Christmas and Santa Claus and that sort of thing because... Uh, uh, the Santa Claus we have today is is uh, really different. So let's walk through. Um, this little section I'm calling the evolution of St. Nicholas. So St. Nicholas was a real person. Um, he was uh, born um, around 280, um, around 280 A.D. Uh, his... Uh, Parents were said to be Christian and to be pretty well off. Uh, they died when he was uh, fairly young, and so he had a certain amount of wealth. He became a bishop in a coastal town called Myra uh, in what is now Turkey. And um, he uh, you know, was a real person. And after his death, um, which was... Uh, on December 6th, as best they can tell. Um, so that's why his feast day, he became a saint. Um, and his feast day was December 6th, supposedly uh, his, uh, the day of his death. And, um, and that's why St. Nicholas got into December. All right. So uh, in any event, uh, as... You know, legends come and go, and, and we think there's a certain amount of truth to these things. Um, but, you know, there's this, the dark ages and everything were happening. But over the next few hundred years after his death and after he's become a saint, and it's become known that uh, uh, some things he did in his life uh, made him um, known as someone who was uh, generous to the poor, uh, generous to children, um, and uh, uh, a really a, a stand-up guy for the faith. And so by the time you get to the 1200s, uh, this has kind of morphed. Now uh, things are like not just in Turkey or Asia Minor as it was back then, but more in Europe. And now it's into the, uh, it's December, there's this gift-giving um, tradition where, um, where St. Nicholas gives out uh, gifts um, on December 5th, the night before his feast day. There's a big feast, and all this is going on. And um, very often there was partnered with this tradition of, um, uh, yes, there's gifts, but there's also discipline, right? So uh, you need to behave uh, was the other message of... St. Nicholas, and, um, 
as this got into the more Germanic regions, um, there was um, like uh, the nice St. Nicholas and then his buddy uh, of various sorts and kind who was like um, the cop, the bad guy. Uh, if you misbehave, then we're going to have a bad Santa come and uh, take care of you. And um, uh, some of the names uh, were pretty scary, I understand. <laughs> so uh, if you look online at, uh, I forget, there were different names for these. Um, there was one called Rough Nicholas, there was Ashy Nicholas, there was Furry Nicholas, and then there was a really bad one. I, I, I lost the name of it, but um, this really scary uh, St. Nicholas. But So that was all going on, but the reason that there was this kind of sidekick had to do with as it transitioned to the Reformation. So Luther comes along with the Protestant Reformation, and the whole saint thing is kind of pushed to the side, right? Um, because that was a Catholic thing. Reformation, we don't talk about saints very much. He said, well, so we're not going to do St. Nicholas as, you know, because they had a problem, right? Because the kids are used to getting gifts. So the kids are expecting gifts. If we're going to do away with St. Nicholas, what's going to happen? Well, Luther came up with, okay, well, it's baby Jesus is going to bring the gifts. But being a baby, he can't carry much, so you need a sidekick to help carry the gifts. And so that's why we get this partner, uh, uh, which there was different names. One's called Black Pete. I don't know where that came in. Um, but anyway, so you have these uh, this thing going on, so, and baby Jesus was, in German, Christ Kindle, which got shortened to Chris Kringle, which somehow got morphed into just another name for Santa Claus. You, you can see how just crazy it gets as it goes through time. Anyway, with the Reformation, most everybody set aside St. Nicholas, except for the Dutch. In the Netherlands, they were all about St. Nicholas, which in uh, that tongue was Sinterklaas. And so Sinterklaas, that tradition made its way you know, the Dutch were uh, very much into colonizing the New World, you know, the whole New York area and the Hudson River and all that. Um, so they brought Sinterklaas with them in that tradition of um, St. Nicholas giving gifts and so forth. So, so now we're in the New World, now we're in New England, and apparently back in the day in the, in the revolutionary times, Christmas... Um, wasn't that big a deal. It, they, I got the impression that they looked at Christmas like when I grew up uh, living in Louisiana, what mom and dad taught us about Mardi Gras. You know, Mardi Gras wasn't something you participated in. It was something you stayed away from because they didn't see anything Christian about what was going on with Mardi Gras, even though technically it's a Christian holiday, right? Um, at least in the Catholic faith. So um, apparently in New England, it was just a drunken party of sorts. Well, that apparently persisted until the early 1800s, and I apologize, I meant to look up to see what was going on in America in the early 1800s that would cause several things to happen. And what happened was some writers got involved. Washington Irving, remember Washington Irving? Sleepy Hollow and all that. Well, he writes this story 
kind of a fun comedy story about New York focusing on the days when there was a heavy, heavy Dutch influence still. And he starts to weave in some stories of Sinterklaas. A decade or two later, uh, a writer wrote, it's anonymous, but wrote this little illustrated children's book called The Children's Friend. And I'll put a link to this in the podcast. But in The Children's Friend, it was, it, it, it was a story, like, like a poem, and it had some illustrations. And it talked about um, Santa Claus, all one word. So it's changing now. But now you hear of this um, uh, entity, we'll say, um, who was very tiny. Very tiny, had a sleigh, had one reindeer, and um, and would bring <laughs> would bring gifts uh, to children. Okay, um, but would also bring switches if you misbehave. Uh, it's in fact it ends with that. <laughs> okay, the last line is you see this this picture with this little plain little bedroom with two socks on the wall and one with some stitches coming, uh, switches coming out of it. And it says, when virtues path, his sons refuse. So basically, uh, when God tells you to swat your kid, here are the switches that you can use to do that. When your son refuses uh, virtues path. So that was going on, that was 1821. Well, which is, what, 200 years ago, right? The next year, this other guy writes a story called A Visit from St. Nicholas. That poem we now know as Twas the Night Before Christmas. So this whole idea of Santa Claus, and honestly, I'm not sure exactly when the North Pole got involved, but this, um, the pictures that we think of Santa Claus in the scheme of things, are pretty new, right at 200 years old. And you, of course, see where things have gone. But I want to talk about St. Nicholas a little bit. But the theme of this is what we tell our children matters, what we do with our lives matter, and what people say about us down the road matters, but also, if you're not careful, the story can get changed. The story can get twisted. And I know none of us want to do that. So, um, again, let's t go all the way back to Turkey, Asia Minor. And if you, um, you don't have to turn here. But in the book of Acts, as we hear about Paul's third missionary journey... As he's wrapping up his journey, one of the things he does, he swings back by Ephesus. Okay? And I don't know if we have our map here, but if you picture um, Asia Minor, which is what's called Turkey, and then the bottom edge of Turkey morphs with the western coast of the Mediterranean there where Israel is, right? And so Paul would come up, go through Asia Minor, off across to Greece, come back to Asia Minor, and then get as close as he could in land before he took the ship back to Antioch. So he goes by Ephesus, and he 
is summarizing all the things he said. And he says, now this is the last words of Paul to that region. Okay? He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then he leaves. And in, that's the latter part of chapter 20. In, verse, in chapter 21, Paul goes and it says, And we departed, set sail, came to Kos, then to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Patera is where um, St. Nicholas was born. Okay? So here we have Paul ministering there in this region. And one of the last messages he gives is Jesus' word, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I found that very interesting. Because what was it that Nicholas was concerned about? Well, we know from some of the stories he did have a concern for the poor. He had means and he would often give away his wealth. So is it any accident that in this region where Paul was preaching, the last place he existed on, in Turkey before he you know, took the trip over to Antioch by boat, the, the port that he left from just so happened to be the same town that he was born. So you, you gotta think that the echoes of that teaching had infiltrated that community. His parents were Christians, probably tied in with that. They may have known people who knew Paul. It just, it gets to be kind of a small world sometimes. I know you guys have experienced that now, even more so back then. In any event, there we have Paul. We have St. Nicholas who's concerned for the poor. Paul was concerned about the poor. We know from some stories that St. Nicholas was concerned about the enslaved. You might even say modern-day sex trafficking is similar. Um, one of the, the stories that's attributed to him is that back in the day, uh, if you were a dad and if you were poor and if you were so unfortunate as to have a bunch of daughters, you couldn't get them married off because you had to provide a dowry to the future husband in order to marry, to get your daughter married. Well, if you didn't have any money, you just had daughters that you couldn't support. So, of course, they would go to prostitution. The story is St. Nicholas would provide gold for these young women to their dad so that they would have the dowry so that they could get married and get out of prostitution. St. Nicholas had concern for the gospel. Now, I said he was born in 280. He died around 343. Around 303, so he would have been, what? I don't know. 
40 or 50 years old. Um, Diocletian was a Roman emperor and had massive persecution on Christians. So much so that he got put in jail for about eight years. Constantine, you've heard of, right, who later became Roman emperor, his dad was instrumental in uh, getting rid of, or through this edict, the persecution of Christians. And then we know that later Constantine um, uh, basically, I guess, became a Christian and uh, Christianity's status rose as a result of that. Um, So as all this was going on, as he gets out of prison, not long after that is the Council of Nicaea. You ever heard of that? It's one of the first Christian councils. And they say that St. Nicholas was a participant there. And, and the big topic was, what do we do about Jesus? Which I think is interesting for a saint that, came be, that became associated with Christian, I mean with Christmas, that one of the main topics is this first ever religious council that convened from all of the known world. And the topic was, is Jesus God or not? That was the topic. Well, there was this bishop from, I think, Egypt called Arius, who basically said, no, Jesus was a created being, being. This concept of the begotten son, he thought, well, Jesus was a created being. Jesus wasn't God. As the story goes, um, breaking all protocol, St. Nicholas slaps Arius around, which totally broke protocol, so he gets taken out of the council, the bishops throw him in jail for a few days to cool off. But yet, Arianism was proven to be a heresy. Those who agreed with Arius, which was just, I think, two bishops, they were banished. And, you know, then, of course, St. Nicholas was vindicated and let out. So here you have this saint who... And, of course, I'm using it as a title, not because I believe in saints, but who had concern for the poor, concern for the enslaved, concern for the gospel. And I think it's because of the echoes of the influence that happened in and around him. We talked about Paul. The closest city that we would recognize from New Testament times um, was Colossae. And... um, would have been about as far as from here to Charleston, okay? Would be where Colossae was. So picture if Paul was having a ministry down in Charleston. If you were a Christian, you probably would have heard about it, right? Like I said, it gets to be a small world. Well, it just so happens that in the first chapter of Colossians, we have this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Is that a pretty good defense of the deity of Christ? Those are things that you only say about God. 
Is it a big surprise that this bishop was attending the council of Nicaea and was so offended by this heresy because this had been preached basically in his backyard. Paul's message stuck. And he believed it to be true. And so he was geographically and obviously theologically very close to this message. I don't think those things really are by accident. He also grew up not far from all of the churches that are mentioned in Revelation. You know, when Jesus writes the letters, we call it the letters to the seven churches, right? The closest one of those he would have grown up next to would be Laodicea. And we know that Jesus had some less than kind things to say about Laodicea. But I'll read just one section. It says, we know this famous part, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth and so forth. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and so forth. This was a rich town. And what is Jesus' message to that town, to that area? Your riches aren't what matters. You think St. Nicholas got that message? That his riches weren't what matters because he spent his whole life giving them away. So I see in St. Nicholas a guy who was obviously a Christian, who still had fresh echoes of the teachings of Paul and the teachings of Jesus, transferred through his parents, no doubt, and that led to basically his ministry. And so as we look back on the true St. Nicholas, I would look back on him more like someone else that we would admire and respect who spent his life doing what God wanted him to do. Like we do, like, say, Billy Graham. Um, uh, I heard a pastor one time say, you know, if you want to look up to people, that's great, but you're best just looking up to dead people because those are the ones where you know how the story turned out. And they didn't stumble right before the finish line. Um, so I think we can maybe have a different view of St. Nicholas. We can maybe set the story straight. From what I've learned, I have no doubt that we'll get to say hi to him one day. And hear some of those stories. There's lots of legends. Uh, some are kind of humorous and, you know... God is God and he can do amazing things. Um, one of the reasons he's thought of as being a friend to children, one of the stories was that 
um, he was traveling and had to spend the night at a pub, heard that an unscrupulous inn owner had killed three boys, pickled them, as, and was going to pass them off as pork to his guest. He hears about it and resurrects the kids, and they go on their merry way. Um, if that happened, that would be so cool, right? <laughs> that would be so cool. Um, so, <laughs> I'm not sure you ought to tell that one to your young grandkids, um, <laughs> but maybe when they're older. Um, so, this got me thinking. What are the things that we're going to pass on? What are the things that matter? As we read about the true St. Nicholas, we see how he spent his life. Um, these are crazy days. There are a lot of things going on right now that probably aren't going to matter, like what possessions you have, what status you have, how many friends you have on Facebook, uh, how tidy your house is, how influential your friends are, uh, what political affiliations you have, whether you got your Christmas cards out on time, right? Whether you even do Christmas cards. I have Christmas card guilt most every year. Do those things really matter? No. What matters is the things of the gospel that we pass along. Um, one of dad's gifts to us for Christmas, which he gave to us early because they thought they were going to be out of town, was um, uh, he finished his book that he's been writing. And just a biography, just for family. Um, but in it are stories of my not just my dad and his parents and so forth, but my grandmother's grandparents. Back in the mid-1800s, and I learned things I didn't know, like one was a pastor. And I forget which, but one parent was Methodist and one parent was Baptist, and he chose to be Baptist. So here, 150 years later, that decision probably influenced that I'm Baptist. So I don't know how long the Lord's going to be waiting before he comes back for us. But if it's a while, I think we can all think that, you know, some of those decisions matter to our kids. And, and that legacy that we didn't realize we were building until it had already happened, that it does matter. So uh, those are just some thoughts about St. Nicholas and, and the influence of the stories that are told the influence of the teachings from the past and how they carry forward in our lives. I thought it was pretty fun. Um, do some research on your own, and I think you'll enjoy it. All right, let me pause there because I know the choir needs to leave. Any, uh, any comments? You guys have maybe knew all this before, but it was news to me. Some of it was. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that... This amazing story that uh, all credit goes to you that, you know, through the teachings of Paul and the writings um, of John with Jesus' words, how those permeated this whole region there in Turkey and how it likely influenced some Christian parents who were just raising their kid in a godly home not knowing that they were going to be taken away from him. But that message stuck, and he was able to serve you. 
in ways possibly that are echoing even today because now heresy has been squashed that we know without a doubt that you are God. And Father, we just pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes on the things that are going to count, not just this week, but you know this generation and those to come, that we can pass on to our kids and their kids um, the concept of what really matters. We pray that you'd be good, help us to be good stewards of what you've uh, entrusted us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.